is proud to be sponsored by Is This Tomorrow. That's Is This Tomorrow, available at isthistomorrow.com. Is This Tomorrow is a weekly web comic cataloging the absurdities taking place at the Azoro News Channel. Characters such as George Kleenex, weatherman Benjamin Dover, man on the scene J.B. Horns, political commentator Taffy Tart, radio personality Travis Slaughter, conspiracy theory expert J. Elwood Compton III, paranormalist Murph Davies, Senator Stroller, political apologist Dr. Iggy, Christian ventriloquist Fred Gastro, and his puppet Woody, and the strangely familiar Stocky Bear, in his smelly, itchy costume, will entertain the ever-living shit out of you so that you are doubled up with laughter collapsed beneath your desk, paralyzed, unable to move. You will be slain, comically, but you'll recover. That's Is This Tomorrow at isthistomorrow.com. We're here today to settle an argument that's raged for almost three decades. Is Slam, Big Dipper's fourth record and major label debut, an overproduced disaster, or is it an overlooked masterpiece? In the late 80s, Big Dipper released four records on the very hip Homestead label, which won them critical acclaim and a decent-sized fan base in the U.S. and Europe. When their Homestead contract expired, the band looked for a new label that could get them to the mythical next level. Big Dipper had watched other bands sign to major labels and release overproduced albums with ugly cover art, changing their sound with the hope of achieving commercial success. These bands got chewed up and spat out by the major label system, but Big Dipper had hubris. The band had made all the right business decisions up until that point, and it had a catalog of formidable songs. It was confident it wouldn't make the same mistakes those other bands had. After about a year of searching, a Big Dipper signed to Epic. They were now label mates with Michael Jackson and Alice Cooper. Big Dipper traveled south in January of 1990 to Reflection Studios to make a record. They had a budget about 10 times larger than what they previously had at their disposal. The band came home with a record they thought would be well received. From a business slash existential standpoint, Slam was a disaster. Everyone agrees that Slam's cover art was awful, but what about the songs? Was Big Dipper to blame for falling down the corporate mineshaft, or was the reaction to the record just predictable hipster backlash against anything associated with a major label? Or was it something in between? Guitarist Gary Wallach has been Slam's biggest public critic. Dipper rhythm section Steve Missioner and Jeff Oliphant feel that the record deserves more love. Singer-guitarist Bill Gaufrier takes the Midwest middle road, finding good arguments on both sides. Listen to them hash it out with Barry and Rob on the slam-tastic, super-terrific Winter Fun Hour. I lived in Salem, Mass. 
between 84 and 90. And so I was a, a Big Dipper fan. Uh, you guys uh, mm-hmm. were, the, were the shit then, and uh, you were all over the place. You were uh, on FNX and BCN, aside from all the college stations. So, yeah, I, I came at you guys naturally, and I purchased uh, the record that we are going to talk about today, Slam, when it, when it came out. I bought it because I was a Big Dipper oh, fan. It was you! <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... I heard about that sale. <laughs> <laughs> it was, all right, it was well, all worth it. All right, it was so all first, worth it. we we thought that was we thought that was just the beginning. <laughs> well, all right, we'll get into all that. All right, but let's start right now. Let's go. By the way, we were talking about the band Big Dipper, and we have this is where that record got me. High. Oh yeah, that's right. That's Barry Stock. That's Rob Elba. Yes, and welcome everyone to a special, a very special, uh, probably never before done, and probably never no, be done yeah, again. Yeah, it's pretty uh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so we have all four members of Big Dipper here. So let's uh, introduce yourselves, uh, guys, right now. Go Alphabetically, ahead. start yeah. off. We'll let you guys figure it out. Who's, <laughs> oh God! Let's see. Uh, um, Bill, Bill, that Bill. Begin, I'm Bill. All Bill, right, Bill give us uh, your full. Your, give us your full name, please. Your full name, Bill. Oh, Goffrey, your instrument. Bill, Bill Goffrey. I played guitar. Sang. Awesome. And next. Who's next? I think it's... Uh, Come on, guys. I think, it's, I think it's Steve. It's Steve. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought we were going to be alphabetically by first we, name. No. <laughs> Already there's so, controversy. Right. Already there's right. controversy. <laughs> uh, Steve Michener, I played bass guitar and sang songs. All right. Jeff Oliphant, drummer. All right. Drummer. And last but not least... Gary Wallach. Gary Wallach, guitar and a little bit of singing. All right. <laughs> there you go. Fantastic. All right. So Big Dipper, real, real quick, for those of you who do not know, they were a uh, band formed in Boston, Mass. in 1985. They released four studio albums between uh, 1987 and 1990. Uh, and in 2008, Merge Records released Super Cluster, which is uh, the Big Dipper anthology, which is uh, awesome. It's a three-disc collection of, uh, of a lot of, most of their shit. And, uh, but not any of what we're talking about tonight. <laughs> uh, no, what we were talking about tonight <laughs> is the uh, major label debut and uh, and also the the last record. Watch <laughs> All right, uh, I, I, I just want to say one thing right off the bat. I, I don't want to come. Uh, I think to come at this like this record was any kind of failure or anything is wrong because it, it, it maybe it wasn't a commercial success, but uh, people need to realize hardly anything is. Hardly anything's a commercial That's success. That's true. I mean, how many bands, people do we know that or bands we have seen and said, oh my God, these guys are great. Why, why aren't they, you know, huge famous? So that's not. You know, that's not to say just because uh, it didn't do, you know, good for the label, whatever, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't successful for them, and it was the only record you did, doesn't mean, it, to me, doesn't mean it's a failure. That's true. Yes. Well, thank you. Well, I mean, my idea was that we should get together because there has been kind of a debate raging within the band uh, over the merits of this record. Obviously, uh, okay. this record led to... It led to, um, you know, me, you know, ultimately me leaving the band back in 1990 right after the tour. Um, so it en- engendered some hard feelings within the band. Um, we've, uh, we've had a good-natured ribbing of each other as a record on uh, Facebook um, between the band members with Gary Wall kind of falling on the side of 
not liking the record and me defending the record. And um, so we thought we'd, we'd be able to have fun by finally getting in the same room together and, and, and hashing it out. Uh, well, we'll just see how fun, fun it actually good is. Fun and good-natured, yeah. <laughs> we'll be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> you do you you do you. That's yeah. right. Well, I, I have an introductory. I, I notice in my notes here because I was I was having to make notes about every track as I you know on and off was able to get back to it and listen. And I wanted to have my thoughts together, but I ended up writing kind of an overview paragraph. I don't know if that has any yeah, function uh, or totally was, yes. You should. We'd love to hear that though. Go for it, Bill. Okay, I'll go for it. I'll try not to cry. I'm pretty emotional. But uh, as an insider, okay, as an insider, I would offer that we never set out to make it a popular record in any, in any practical way. We were defiant, knowing what the business expected of us and, and messing with it. Um, in, in a way, we were getting back to our roots as a songwriter's collective. I think that's what we originally uh we're determined to be rather than a band, um, but we didn't seem to be having much fun doing it anymore. Um, the demos for for a lot of the album indicate that we were actually getting stronger as a band in some ways, but we were also struggling to stay focused. Maybe we would have benefited from having an, an actual asshole in the band, um, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe but. Maybe that career path is all that we should have expected. Um, we we did end up stopping before it killed any of us. Right. And I, for one, right. feel blessed <laughs> to have been a part of it. Yeah, well, that's good. You yeah. should. You should. I always something I always say. If it's thirty years, and we're talking thirty years later, if it's thirty years later, and more than twenty people give a shit about yeah. anything you did musically, yeah, you're, you're, you were <laughs> you were successful. Gave, you did something good. That's true. You were pretty successful. I agree. So uh, yeah. Well, I think it was uh, it was 29 years ago this week that we went into the studio in Charlotte to record this. So it's uh, right, right, yeah, and, and six weeks. And and also uh, in talking about the record now, I think we should all keep in mind that if you say, just saying because people are always great with hindsight. They say, well, if this had been this, if they had made this a single, no one knows. No yeah. one knows what is going to hit at a certain time, you know? So it's very easy to say afterwards, like, well, if it was mixed differently or if this was the first single, but yeah. no one, uh, you know, chances are no, uh, nothing's going to happen with anything because I, what I tell, always tell young people starting bands is that it's basically like winning the lottery to to be a successful band like oh, yeah. uh, the, to be able to make more than one record for a label it's almost it's it's like hitting the uh, or it's lottery. like being picked for the NFL and playing for the NFL for a yeah, couple of seasons yeah yeah it's just uh, it, it, the odds are a million to one yeah not to hit on Steve's one of yeah. Steve's uh, 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 a hard point for Steve <laughs> bet noirs <laughs> <laughs> so i um well, I Gary a- why don't you Gary I was going to invite Gary to uh, talk about the the album and what what is it about the album that uh, he doesn't like. Okay, so so Gary's um, the one. Gary's the one that was the uh, detractor, maybe the biggest detractor of this re- particular record. Well, as, right. at least the only one who admit who would admit that publicly. But <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know here's, I, I have to be honest. I have very very mixed feelings about the record. Um, I actually have very fond memories of doing the record with these three guys who I love like brothers and who, um, except for one up to the very end, 
of the original lineup was an absolute delight. I mean, we all got on each other's nerves for various reasons, but we were basically like brothers, and we had a blast doing uh, pretty much everything that we did together. Um, but um, to me, the album falls flat because I think of an album of being a collection of songs that's a concerted effort to convey an idea that goes beyond the sum of its songs. I think Heavens, even with its flaws, does that very, very beautifully. And um, Slam does not. And I, I think the reason why Slam doesn't is multifold. The first reason and the biggest weakness, in my opinion, is uh, my songwriting. I think my songs were horrible from that record. Really? And they yeah. were unfinished. I think my, my songs were horrible. And my no, notes, and I don't. And I, I think, think Bill's to blame here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but, 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 but hear, hear me out. I think there are, you could categorize the songs in some different echelons. One is songs that never should have made it to the record. Um, the okay. second echelon is uh, songs that were partially formed, well formed, but really didn't, uh, they, they weren't whole songs yet. And I think that there were some songs that were perfect, but I think the overarching problem was that the way that record was performed and recorded did not play to our strengths. And I think if you can compare the demos, uh, some of the demos to some of the finished songs, You'll see what I mean. Um, the performance is really, really important. Yeah. And we were having fun in those demos. You could hear yeah. joy in the songs. And I don't think you can hear joy in any of the songs on uh, Slam. But I think that's um, you. I, I, oh, I, I, I think that's song, you being hyper picky, Derek. Go ahead. <laughs> is uh, is what? That? The uh, cover. You're probably going to say the cover all the way uh, from yeah. Memphis, right? Yeah. Yes. The, the, the joy is in that cover, which was very absurd uh, <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> All right, so, but I just got to say uh, from an outsider's view that I hear joy in uh, Love Barge, the opening song Love Barge. That song's beautiful. And okay, Barry played me, Barry played me the uh, demo uh, versions. And yeah, okay, the demos sound more like what I remember Big Dipper, you know, being like early on. But it still sounds joyous to me. It's a great song, and I think you guys played it great. So I don't know. I, I think part of that, I'm sure, some of what you're saying, yeah, is, is valid, Gary. But I also think part of it is you, someone, someone being hypercritical on their own work. You know? Well, maybe. But um, I, I would agree about Love Barge. I actually think that there is joy in that performance. So I'll walk that back a little bit. Okay. Um, I, I really like. I like the. I like the guitar interplay a lot, and I think. The rhythm section is really pumping, and, and as always, Bill's vocal performance is just really okay. wonderful. Um, but um, I, have to, I have to disagree. I think the the biggest weakness of the Love Barge song, that, that recording of it for me, and especially when I compared it to the demo now, is I, I was I had really stiffened up, and, and I, for some reason, had it in my head to do the vocals in a way that was gonna like really be like right you know on the money wherever it was supposed to be but it it's very unnatural and i hear the demo one now it's like oh my god that's the way that was how it should have been yeah i'm but the guitar yeah 
I haven't said anything so far. I haven't said anything, but I, I do. I am a. I did. Uh, Gary did give me the demos, and um, the, you know, the, I, I do. Perf, I'm a production sort of. Rob knows we get it. A production snob. I do love the way the demos sound. <laughs> and the demos to me are muscular and they are immediate. And the album is a big production. And um, I'm just, you know, I just tend towards the uh, the more in your face, you know, uh, um, uh, a sound. And so those demos were really a revelation to me when, when Gary sent them to me. Hey, can I say yeah. something about the uh, the recording of the album, which I remember? <clears throat> so yes, Steve. I know Steve, that uh, Steve, one you, book- you could say. By the way, Steve could say. By the way, the other guy, Steve, has already been a guest on our show. So we're right now. Me and Barry are team Steve. So just so you guys know. But I'm I'm very, gonna have to get each one of these guys back to do an individual album. I'm but, very I'm but, very uh, easily swayed though. So any of you guys could win me over probably yeah. against Steve uh, easily. But so, go ahead, Steve. Yeah. I'm sorry, Steve. Go ahead, Steve. No, no. No, that's fine. Um, what I was going to say is that there were, um, a book that we had read, uh, and books often influenced our band, was The Beatles Recording Session. Yeah, right. Um, which had came out right around uh, right before that. And one of the things that it um, did is it got us excited about actually having the time to produce a record and be in the studio, kind of like the Beatles did in their later years. Yeah. We, were, we finally had a real budget. <clears throat> you know, it went from $3,000 for the Homestead Records to like $30,000, I think, for this Wow. Record. Yeah. I know, right? <clears throat> and the video is even more than that. But um, we we learned something from the Beatles, and they would do like, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I remember like we we set up, it was like four different albums recorded, three or four different albums, and we would set up, record the basics and finish songs, and then move on to the next four songs, kind of like the Beatles did. They would work on songs in a group instead of just, like, kind of plowing through the whole album. We recorded oh, yeah, now that you're separate yeah. albums. Yeah, although, although right? I, was, I, was, I was reading the Beatles recording sessions book at the time, so that may be right, but I remember you guys, meaning everyone but me, talking about the Red Hot Chili Peppers and how they had done it that way. Oh, uh, no! Oh, Gary! You could have... Is this oh, supposed to be funny? Man! <laughs> wow! Is this your idea of a joke? That was like the... Like, talk now, about... Things th- are getting real now. Talking and, about... Uh, that record got me high. Throwing people under the bus. Three and one. You got two in one hand and one in the other. Yeah, like, sorry. Here comes the bus, man. Sorry. My, my, my words are... My words are like fire. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, all right, so... Uh, well, I do remember when we first started recording the record and we went to do the first vocal and Bill was in the booth and we were in the control room and Bill was out there in the isolation booth getting ready to do it. And and they play the song and he starts singing and he can't sing. Oh. And it's uh, like, what the hell happened to Bill? Wow. And I think Gary, I think we all had to go out there and hug him. Yeah. <laughs> I think we... We were all very tense. Yeah. We were, I mean, well, going into I, yeah. something like I was going to ask we were, that. We were in reflection studios. Yeah. We were in, you know, REM's backyard. Right. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Is there? I did you guys put, feel the pressure? You guys must have felt even was, so much as you a really say, nice swing set, as I recall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Swing set. Okay. And what were you going to say, Jeff? Um, it, for, for the first time ever during... Big different recordings. I had to play along to a drum track, 
And oh, the that's producer, a Steve was, was adamant about me playing to a drum track, and I, I a fought him a few times on it. Um, but a click, I, yeah, a like, click track. A click, click track, track yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, sorry, yeah. A click track. But So to me, that is my least favorite drumming of me personally of any album because uh, I wasn't used to playing to a click track. I didn't feel comfortable playing to a click track. Now, I used to practice click tracks and help me with live performances, but in the studio, I was just used to, okay, everyone, just play. Yeah. Kind of like we that's did probably, demo. It's kind of like, that's a, so to me, I, I probably stiffened up um, a lot too just because I was just not used to playing with a click track. And I, I thought him on it a few times. I said, hey, you know, like, let me play... Uh, you know, without it. This brings up a question. This out. brings up a question that I have, and that you know about this album. It is so. You guys, you, you how did the how did the produce how did the producer how was that person selected? Laughter comes from the wait, bed. Wait, wait, wait! I, I didn't hear the question. <laughs> how was the producer? How was the producer selected? Oh God! This is to me. This is the this is the heart of the matter. Yeah, so, well, he did we, the Pixies, I guess. Yeah, he had worked as an engineer with the Pixies. Oh wait, uh, and R.E.M. What did he work on? Did he work and, on uh, a Bossa Nova? No, I think he I can't mixed, remember because yeah, some parts of this record or Bossa Nova. Yeah, yeah some parts of this record, he I did. sort of. Heard some of Bossa Nova. It reminded me, like sort of the sound of the snare, and some things reminded me of Bossa Nova, which I which I like too. But some people I know who like the Pixies didn't. That's maybe their least favorite because they they don't like the production of it. So uh, I was yeah. wondering. Well, I don't know. I, I first of all, he was a very nice guy to work with. I liked him quite a bit. Um, I, I think that he was one of those engineers who was starting to sort of push beyond the engineer designation and into the the, uh, the lofty realm of, of producer with a capital P. Right, right. And right. I think, you know, he, he had some chops, but I feel like he didn't have a lot to say in terms of arrangement or feel or, or pushing us to be better than we were. Right. Um, I, and I, but on the other hand, I don't blame him because if you look at the credits, it says produced by... Steve Hagler and Big Dipper, so I don't want to put it all on. Oops, him. we're to blame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he's yeah, adamant no, that the blame was not his fault. But um, and and I would sort of agree with that. I, I think we thought that by having someone who would work with the Pixies, that that would help. And as it turns out, um, the guy that we, sh- in my opinion, should have been working with, and I should have really been adamant about this back in the day, but I loved working with Sean Slade at Fort Apache, and um, and he was the one who did those demos, and as you say, Barry, they sound immediate and fresh, we were loose, and he always managed to keep uh, me and the different bands that I recorded with very loose in the studio, and that's what we needed. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that only unlocks one part of the puzzle, though, right? <laughs> right. But okay, let me, let me, let me, I'm going to break in here. I'm going to break in here as the co-host again and back up to where you said he says that Slam is not his fault. So that means that you guys have discussed with him or someone's discussed with him the issues you have with the recording. I think he had probably seen interviews that we had done in which we had sort of 
and which I had sort of put slam down. Oh, okay. And he, okay. Um, yeah, he and I were in touch, you know, a little bit over the years, and every time he'd email or we'd talk on the phone, he'd, he'd say, I, you know, in his North Carolina accent, I'm not to blame for that record, Gary. I'm not to blame. <laughs> <laughs> but that is, yeah, that is, that is kind of weird, though, because it's sort of like, is, what is he saying, though? Is he saying that he's not happy with it either, but it wasn't his fault, or is he just saying because you guys don't like it, that's not his fault? That is kind of a strange thing for someone to or say. Or was it a commercial I think it's ridiculous to say yeah. that. Well, well, Gary, you know, I don't know. What's love, up, Bill? Just, what as say, aside, what, just as an aside, I'm curious, what line of work did he go into after Slam? <laughs> oh, is, is he not I, even I, a producer he, anymore? I don't well, think he, he produced produ- records. That re- he, he produced records at Reflection um, up until it closed a couple of years ago. And... Oh, um, oh. I just assumed you know, he had an immediate career change. And... <laughs> no, no, no. Well, didn't. let um, me say, so to, to answer your question, though, we did interview a few people uh, for producers, some of them that were put up by our manager and put by the label, and Jim Rondinelli was one who I know went on to do the Jayhawks. We'll talk to him. Yeah, Rondinelli did one of my favorite records of all time, which was uh, Twice Removed by Sloan. Oh, wow. It's a great record. It sounds fantastic. Um, but uh, ironically, I heard that they didn't like it for any part. Well, you know, the, the other thing was that uh, Rondinelli, his home studio was Minnesota, and Hagler's main studio was in North Carolina, and it was we were going to record in January, so you can pass on that. Yeah. Nobody wanted to go to Minneapolis. But I think, you know, and this is going, you know, saying what if and like uh, like Rob talked about, but what I really wish had happened is that we'd uh, gotten someone like John Langford from the Mekons to produce this, somebody who understood the, at least the sound we were going for and the, the mentality of the band. Yeah. I know that Bob Weston always says we should have had Steve Albini uh, do the album. Yeah, that was that was I was that's why I sent you guys those I sent uh, I don't know, I didn't send them to you Bill and I didn't send them to you Jeff cuz uh, but I but I sent to Gary and to Steve um in the er, in the 97 Cheap Trick went into um they recorded an album with Albini, an actual album of new songs, and at the end of the recording in the matter of a day they re-recorded almost all of their album in color. Oh yeah, and it sounds great. And it sounds <laughs> it's it's muscular and tough, and it sounds like they played it live, right. which they basically did. They yeah. played it live in the studio, and so yeah, Albini yeah. would have Albini, and that's the same sound the demos have. Where and but you know that's my bias. Is it? Yeah, it's yeah. um I, that's what I like, and so that doesn't necessarily mean that it's better. It's just, it's just. No, where it, I, it sounds like just because, uh, just because it sounds more like uh, the band and how they play live doesn't necessarily mean that to to try different things like to add horns and do that is necessarily a bad thing. I like that. I like when bands that I like go to the studio and try. Okay, it. here's the it's thing. It's not always successful. It's not. It's not the. It's not the instrumentation about slam that bugs me. It's actually the mix. And so I think the horns are great. 
I think the playing is fine, and I think the performances Thank are you. fine. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm, but they're better than fine. I'm just you know I, I just have no, to get, make and my point. Some really great songs. But on I would I would I wanted to ask you guys. One of the questions was like, where's the like where are the where are the multi tracks? <laughs> Who's got the multi tracks? And um, <laughs> oh, <God>. send it to Barry. <laughs> Because I would, I would, I would, um, I, you know, I would, I would take everything in there, and you know, it's and uh, de-sweeten it, basically. Uh, um, the the gated snare. Exactly. It's a, well, yeah. That's. I think that's what bothers Barry the most out of anything, because he's just particular uh, about things like that. And I don't know, things like that don't bother me so much. I could say, all right, that that's the the sound, that's the drum sound on it. Um, and, and it is slick. I mean, definitely it's the slickest sounding that I ever heard Big Dipper. But still, um, yeah, the, a fact is, I always say a song, a great song is a great song. That's why I love, I, I know Steve, you're a Gotta Buy Voices fan, but are any other you guys a uh, guy? Billy, more of Right, okay. I love that. And I got a, I'm not only, I'm not only, a, I'm not only a huge Gotta Buy Voices fan, uh, I love you so much. That I did a record with Robert Pollard. Oh yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. I did read that. Mars But uh, that's another. That's a yeah. perfect example of no matter what it sounds like, because some of his some of that shit is horribly. It just sounds horrible. But you know, a great song is a great song. But I, I do to that point. I do agree. I was. I'm curious. Why did you put? Why is there so many songs on the record? Because it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> why are there 14 songs on this record? You know what we learned about that is you only get paid for ten songs, right? So why aren't there just ten? I could think. I mean, not not to be brutal, but I could think. Well, we of, didn't find that out until afterwards, right? I could think of three or four songs that maybe couldn't. We could, you know, take off the record. Not that that would have changed anything, really. Yeah. At the end, which one's wrong? Which yeah. one's wrong? I think if that would have been a great idea. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. You, if oh. you look, if, if you look at the major label releases of that era. They all had 13, 14, 15 songs they on them. They did, right? The, because uh, the CDs. Because the CDs. Because right? you can, you have to. Like you because got 70. you can. You can jam. Yeah, you can jam them on there. Uh, and you can also, if, if you threw one song up against the wall and it didn't stick, which, you know, they never did anyway, then you could keep throwing more up against the right. wall. That was the really stupid uh, logic of major label world at that time. Yeah. Right. Well, well, we were trying to give a bargain to the fans, you know, because Heavens was 10 songs and 32 minutes, and this is what, 13 songs and 14 40 something minutes? 14, buddy. 14. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you guys. <laughs> let me ask you guys. Go ahead, Jeff. There's a lot of short songs on that record. There are, yeah, there are. Which oh, yeah, is, Blood, yeah. Blood Packed is short. But a song. Yeah, yeah Blood yeah. Packed and. Another life, that's, just, that's not very long. You know what's really short, though? Yeah. Just, leaving, just leaving the song off. Yeah, <laughs> zero, <laughs> that's that's really zero colon zero zero. So, um, I, 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 right. I want to... Hey, we got the new firehouse in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. So, I want to ask, I want to ask a question is, um, when um, you guys, you guys were on Homestead, like, uh, did you, I guess you would deal with Gerard Pretty much, right? That was his, uh, yeah. yeah. So wh- what did he say when you guys said, you said you were signing to Epic? Did he have any reaction? No, I don't remember. Nothing, okay. No. I doubt it. Okay. No. <laughs> All right. Just like, yeah. I wish you. we had a juicy uh, soundbite for you, Barry. But, uh, <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. I'm, you know he I'm probably all... said good, 
He probably said, good luck, guys. <laughs> I, I think yeah. he was very... Uh, he was very frustrated that um, the band hadn't worked with him more directly rather than with our manager. And um, I agree with him on that point. He, he wished us luck. And, um, you know, recently I saw him uh, commenting on Big Dipper. I think it was on Facebook. And some people were kind of flagging us. I can't remember exactly what the conversation how dare, was. How dare they? But to, <laughs> Gerard, Gerard um, really said something that I thought was very sweet and very um, surprising in a way. He said something like, uh, someone said something like, uh, Big Dipper's a crappy band. Oh, and oh. he said, he, he said, Big Dipper were never a crappy band, ever. And um, so that was, that was nice to hear from a guy who's... Uh, whose musical taste was um, pretty impeccable when it came to putting out records. Right, right. right. Yeah. No, no, it was great. All oh, right, so, so guys, we're gonna we're gonna take our yeah, little. Uh, we're at the about the halfway point. So this is this is great, guys. Actually, this is halfway. This is really awesome. Yeah, we're at like halfway. Well, we <laughs> this sort is of, the one know. quarter way. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever. Well, we'll keep. We'll go as we're long. We're at the breaking point. We need a. Me and Barry are exhausted. We've covered already. one song. <laughs> I have, all right. So <laughs> no, no. We'll get this episode. We'll get you know it. what? Well, it, I'm it gonna is say what it is. this episode. Whatever we talk about, we talk about. It's not. We don't have to do follow our regular format. Yeah. We got you guys all here, and we want you to talk about. What you want to talk about But Bill Has requested a break And I am requesting a break as well So Rob and I can refill our Alcoholic beverages Yeah we have to refresh our drinks And okay. we, will, we will be back in a minute With more of The band Big Dipper And we're talking about Slam With Steve Mishner, Gary Wellick uh, Bill Goffrey And Jeff Elephant. We'll be back Right after this message That Record Got Me High is proud to be sponsored by Is This Tomorrow. That's Is This Tomorrow, available at isthistomorrow.com. Is This Tomorrow is a weekly web comic cataloging the absurdities taking place at the Azoro News Channel. Characters such as George Kleenex, weatherman Benjamin Dover, man on the scene J.B. Horns, political commentator Taffy Tart, Radio personality Travis Slaughter, conspiracy theory expert J. Elwood Compton III, paranormalist Murph Davies, Senator Stroller, political apologist Dr. Iggy, Christian ventriloquist Fred Gastro, and his puppet Woody, and the strangely familiar Stocky Bear, in his smelly, itchy costume, will entertain the ever-living shit out of you so that you are doubled up with laughter, collapsed beneath your desk, paralyzed, unable to move. You will be slain, comically, but you'll recover. That's Is This Tomorrow at isthistomorrow.com. Well, did we get Bill back? Bill, I didn't hear a beep. There's a I'm beep. back. I'm here. Oh, all right, Bill. Bill. All right. Plug in, Bill. Tune up. So we got all four. I'm doing the nails. And- we got all four members. We got all yeah. all three musicians and Jeff, the uh, drummer. I love drummer Well, jokes. let me just say that. when Who was it that said we needed an asshole in the band? Yeah. And when, when you said that, I, I pointed at Rob across the table yeah. just so I'm we're I'm the clear. asshole of the podcast. <laughs> uh, he could have made us. 
<laughs> All right, let's go. Let's get back into it. We're back with yep. That Record Got Me High. That is Barry Stock. That's Rob Elba. And we are talking to the band Big Dipper, man. The 80s band. This, these guys These guys were a big part of my... When I, when I lived up in Boston in the late 80s, like I said, these guys were the shit. And, uh, and a really great band. And this was their major label debut, Slam. And... B- before we get into the tracks, man, I have a question which we haven't addressed this at all. Who's fourteen-year-old nephew who just learned how to use Corel photo paint? Who designed the? Oh yeah, the, the cover. cover record. <laughs> Excellent question. <laughs> who wants to feel that one? Uh, well, all I remember is that our crack management team, who shall remain nameless, knew of these people who were starting up a graphic design firm in New York and we said, Okay, yeah, whatever. They got oh. the money from Epic they got that money from Epic up front and at the end of the slam tour we came back to the East Coast. We went to visit <laughs> them and see the album design and uh, we we looked at it uh, and uh, and I'm I'm like, okay we, we, this this is uh, maybe not so great. We gotta do this, we gotta do that and they're like, No, that's the design. Oh. And I said, yeah, Excuse yeah. me? I was they wondering. Said, That's where... the design. You've already exhausted your budget. And uh, wow, I really wanted to take fire to that place. Wow. I, I was you, wondering don't realize how, you don't realize how much it costs to cut pictures out of magazines. <laughs> <laughs> you musicians. Well, that company was. So the company who made that. Uh, those are guys who had broken away from M and Company, who had designed the Talking Heads Fear of Music. Oh my God! Uh, wow. Comp- uh, album cover, but and they were associated with a great graphic designer, uh, Barry. You might know Tibor Kalman. Yeah, no. He was a, a fantastic designer. All right. That's- but he, but he died, and then uh, anyway, these kids broke off and started this agency. But that cover is—it's like another classic thing. It's like. You know every every major label mistake that we made <laughs> that I'll give made, you got kicked yeah, yeah. off. I was yeah, that's why I was we wondering if if at the time if you guys knew like right then like oh this isn't a good cover because now sometimes in the eighties you know we all have pictures of us in in the eighties oh, sure, and then our sure. you know, kids go what what right. are you what wearing were you doing? Yeah. and you have to explain no this is how people dressed in yeah. the eighties. Uh, but yeah, that's I thought it was a. I thought it was bright. I thought it would stand out. I didn't like the design. I didn't like the typography. But I thought, oh well, it's, you know, it's got grass and sky and clouds. Well, these, and these are professionals. They certainly know better than us. <laughs> yeah, no. It, <laughs> it, that really, is, that is not true. We should have done that. It, it if really we had designed all of our own album covers from day one. We had right, designed right. Boo Boo Heaven. Craps, uh, all the uh, and they were great. And they were, great. They were, they were great all great. They were this, yeah, this yeah, literally uh, built paintings. Yeah, th- yeah. this literally it's looks great. like one of those BuzzFeed articles where they go like the the ten worst uh, you know Corel uh, jobs ever. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, I will and, say that. that <laughs> no I mean, offense, guys. Yeah. I mean no offense, guys. No, I, I think I, they know I, that. You all know. with love. I say it with love. But. Yeah. Um, and also, I have a question about the back photo. Where where was that uh, taken? The picture you guys on the back cover, the band picture. It it was somehow, It was the house of um, some guy the photographer knew. Oh, okay. No, it's his house. It had a lot of personal significance, in other words. Oh, now yeah, yeah I think it was the photographer's house. That's where oh, he the lived. photographer's it was a, house. It was an, uh, kind of a mid-century modern. And and the one follow. Yeah, 
Well, the one follow-up question: Were any of it you guys? Don't... Were any of you guys like, what the what the fuck's with those red socks? Were any of you other guys like, what's with that? <laughs> <laughs> or were you just? No, did all you of just us had signed up on Bill's yep. burial choice. Yep. <laughs> By that point, we had given up. <laughs> no, you had not. All right, so let's it's get in, Let's start getting into the record. Obviously, we talked about uh, the first, the opening track, "Love Barge," which. I don't care what anyone says. This is, this it's is a, a very great, catchy it's song. It's such a great song. It's and very this, catchy. It's one of these songs that should have been, obviously, should have been a hit single. Yeah. Because it is. Because it's great as a hit yep. single. So I don't care how. I, you could do it anyway. You could overproduce it. You could underproduce it. It's, it's just a great, a great song. song. It is. Uh, I, I well, once thought you. that I stood on solid ground, but the earth has moved. And I've been turned around. And the only thing left to hold on to is myself. Myself alone. Um, mm, deep, <laughs> deep shit. <laughs> no, it's That's great. really how we felt, man, man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so who's he was uh, So whose song? Uh, whose song? <laughs> whose song was this? This is. Uh... Who's the principal on this one? Uh, this is, I was the principal of Steve. Um, so I came to the band. Well, actually, I stole this idea from Gary. Gary had tried, uh, in the band, had tried a number of times to record a, to write a three-chord song. It repeats the same three chords in a measure of four. Okay. So it goes D, F, G, uh, C, F, G, C. Uh, so there's Rotate. three parts to it. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know the musical terms. I, but um, uh, so I stole that from Gary and, and we started playing it, and uh, I had the idea, the, the Love Barge idea had come from an uh, experience that Bill and I had in London uh, when we were there doing promo for Craps or Heavens or something. And um, it, was a, it was a really bad metaphor. Love Barge is a really dumb, you know, to all the songwriters out there now, it's a really dumb metaphor. <laughs> no, but, but it was a very I, personal I, that's, song for me. I, I think that's kind of its charm because you guys make it work. It, it actually it does works work. in the song. It is you know? goofy, but it does work, and that's the thing. You you find the song stuck in your head, and you're that's like, a charm. Oh, that's yeah, there's there's charm. that. It's good one. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's goofy. See, but that it's was great. My, here's the thing about Love Barge, and it's going to be my transition to another song. I, I think Love Barge. Um, I like the verses quite a bit, and I didn't like the chorus as much. But my feeling is even stronger about uh, Life Inside the Cemetery. I think that the verses, which, which Steve and Bill worked on, I had absolutely nothing to do with the verses or the choruses. Um, but uh, the verses are sh- just perfection. They are pop perfection. The melody, the phrasing, the lyrics... Are, are beautiful, oh, and and I, I and well, wait till you hear what I have to say next. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> I kind um, of agree. I I, I, yeah, I, think I, I, I felt know that the choruses didn't. Yeah, the choruses did not meet that standard, and I think that in a way, that's the most tragic song on the record because it could have been an all-time great, and I just don't think that the choruses work. And, um, it, you know, it's a, sh- well, I a think shame. It's a fair point. I, I, yeah, I, I put it on myself because I felt that way about it and I didn't really speak up. I, I think I was sort of hypnotized by the whole major label experience and recording that record. And 
I, I feel terrible about it to this day because... Well, don't feel terrible because it's still you, a great song. Yeah, I, I'm going to disagree with terrible. you completely in that I love the chorus. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that... Okay, well... I think that it's, uh, you know... Well, he's from the South, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'm an inbred redneck idiot. Fifth generation native Floridian, so <laughs> that tells you anything. My, Look south and feel the... Yeah, my family's been in Florida pleasure. since 1850, so, you know, if there's any fault to be found in, uh, in Floridians, I'm certainly <laughs> suspect number one. All right, so let's go. Well, I think Gary's got a point. Gary's got a point, and I think this speaks to the uh, the problem with the record. And uh, we had reached a point where we were writing songs, and uh, I mean, we had a lot of time to prepare prepare for this record. Craps had come out in what eighty nine, eighty eight, yeah, eighty eight, eighty eight, and so we had a lot of time to do this, and we had a lot of time to actually like workshop these songs and work out it. But I think we were scared, you know, we were all in our 20s and we really were we're all kind of dysfunctional in our own way and nobody really spoke up and said hey you know what that course sucks you need to work take that course back to your bedroom and fix that and bring it back here when you've got something worth worthwhile you know if gary had said that but if Gary had said that to me in 1989, you know, we would have never, we would have stopped talking for right. a couple of weeks. Nobody <laughs> yes, talks about my songs that way. Well, well yeah, but but here's here's the thing. I I don't want to take the focus off the songs too much, but we signed our contract with Epic in December of 1989, and we were told that they wanted the first record to come out in the fall of 1990, which was consistent with the whole college, you know, indie rock kind of thing. You put right. your record oh, on yeah, the ball, that, that's when the college kids are back and they're buying records. Okay, great. So then we do these demos in, in uh, we did these demos in December of 89, um, the ones that we were talking about, and they heard those demos and they got really excited. And I remember our A&R guy, Michael Kaplan, Michael Kaplan. telling me, Kaplan said that, I hear four or five hits on this record and we're really going to work it hard. But what we need from you guys is to go into the studio ASAP um, because we want to get this record out in April. And we're like, what are you, crazy? So we did it. We said, okay, fine. What else are we going to do? So we, we booked Reflection Studios. We get there in early January of 90. Yeah, 90. And we cranked this record out. Um, I think we were done recording in March sometime. And, uh, oh, and they got it out. Wasn't in, it? What's that? I think it was. How long did it take months. to record? I think it was oh, a few months. We and and so the, the record comes out in April. And then we're planning a tour for the summer, which was ridiculous. <laughs> and and so we really didn't have the sort of time that we felt we needed to sort out the songs and to figure out what we wanted to do. Which is not to say that we wouldn't have made some of the same mistakes had we had another few months. Right. But, well, but I gotta say that, that does that does put a very interesting spin on things because you guys were ru- this was a rushed deal. And if you had had yep. more time, you would have had more time to actually think and, you know, work on things and not say yes to everything just because, well, we got to get it done. 
Um, that's a very short period right. of time. I don't think it sounds like that way. To me, as as an outsider just listening to it, it doesn't sound like that to me, though. It doesn't sound rushed. It doesn't sound like a band. It also, I want to say this. Let's get into the second song here, too. The uh, the Bond. All right. The second song on there, another great sounding like, sounds like um, the band Big Dipper to me. Uh, Come With Us. I, I love this yeah. song. And it's got this really great weird guitar break in it that is not it doesn't sound to me like a band trying to be commercial or trying to you know please a record <laughs> or anything so you know it definitely yeah. does not at this point i'm still with you guys you know i love i love gary's guitar i love gary's guitar right yeah. right yeah it's awesome and is this song about a, a cult is it like kind of like a cult thing no bill wasn't this about the band wasn't this a a song written to the rest of the band, or to Jeff. Oh, like like the I don't know, it started out the bond. No, it started out being written about Frank Sinatra, but you know, oh, for the life of me, I, I, it went it went through some changes. Who loves you, baby? But it was. But here, uh, here's well, uh, a note. Blue eyes, come come with us, blue eyes. Come with it's us, blue eyes. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that's about Frank Sinatra. All right. No, I thought it was just that. Okay. But I, have to say, <laughs> I, love, I love that. I when, love when bands, like, you well, ask them later, and they're like, I don't know what the yeah, fuck it is. Right, exactly. <laughs> one, thing about, one thing we took pride in in our uh, records, um, other records, was the uh, pacing of the record, you know, making sure that each song uh, followed the other one. They were all the songs were in the right place, and I think... In this record, we made a crucial mistake. We gave in to the label who wanted the single, which was Love Barge, to be first. But I thought the Bond should have let off the album. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah right. I, 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 I wondered about mm-hmm. the sequencing as well, because obviously when you yeah, give those I'm, things... I'm sure up, if the Bond was first, you, you guys would have been huge. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I mean, okay, not, it's not that that. It's that if the Bond had been, if you guys had had... Char- and been had influence over the sequencing that would have mean you would have had a lot of influence on, over a lot of other things too the cover and that well we you, did have we did have influence over the sequencing we just made a mistake oh you just sort of said yeah company. let's put that first I, although I think the first three songs are really just I, I love the first three songs of this record how they just go bam 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 and then we get to the third song another life um, uh, it's, she heard a crash. And blind with love. There are no lyrics online for this, so this is Rob having to figure out what's on oh, the I album. Figured out. Oh yeah, I don't. Like I said, guys, I bought this record when it came out, and I really did. They're in the booklet. They're in the booklet. The no, I know, I know. But <laughs> yeah, I'm reading. I'm just going to tell you guys. I'm, reading. I'm sure you guys. You heard a crash and blind with love. <laughs> Failed to look above her. Left her body, gave it up. Traded for another. <laughs> <laughs> now is this this is about reincarnation, right? Like past life experience, reincarnation. Or, yes, or is this or is this Frank one about Sinatra. Frank Sinatra? T- <laughs> yeah, no, it's about the whole all, the whole record well, about Sinatra. That that goes without saying, but but the reincarnation part, yes, was added to the Sinatra reference. Yes. <laughs> it ain't. Another great song. And this song uh, was uh, Michael Kaplan's favorite. This is our our. Uh, 
A&R guy's favorite song, and he put it on a compilation, an epic compilation that came out at the oh, nice, the nice. time. Okay. No, it's a great, it's a great catchy song. And also, I just really quickly, I want to put in. I'm sure you guys are aware of this that there is a rapper, a a a, a white a gay rapper called Big Dipper. That that right, he comes sort up of, and searches all him, now. He right. considers himself a bear, and uh, specifically if. <laughs> <laughs> he has a song called uh, Thick Life And, and uh, there's a song lyric site That says uh, bony, Big Dipper Bony Knees of Nothing But when you go to it It says The lyrics are I'm a skank I'm a man Got that dick in the palm of my hand I made you supper boo Want me to fuck you too That's what it says for Bony Knees of Nothing So I just want to point that out I'm sorry guys I'm sorry for you that the internet has done this to you guys. Congratulations <laughs> No, the in- well, yeah. no publicity <laughs> is bad. <laughs> Usually that's true, but I think in this case that might not be true. Yeah. Um, Good luck to all gay bear rappers. Yeah. <laughs> let's leave this time yeah. behind. All right, let's get to the fourth. Again, uh, let's let's leave that topic behind. Really. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. behind. Yeah, good one. Oh, All right, so God. the title, on, uh, the fourth on, song is the title. I gotta tell you. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Go for well, it. On another go life ahead. again. The the thing the thing that sells it to me now. Now I'm coming at it as a listener, just like a. An objective listener when I put Slam on, you know, after all this time and, right. and how it hit me. And and again, in another life, it, it's Gary's, Gary's guitar playing on the bridge, especially. It's just like, it just sends me through the roof. Oh, it's, it's great. It's I know. Earworm. Then I go, I go around for days and I'm hearing that guitar. It's part great. It head. is. You're right. It, it is. It's great. It, it, it really Which is. part is it? On the, on the bridge, <laughs> uh, more to come bridge near. Oh, the okay, right, right, yeah. right. Oh, yeah. All right, now speaking well, of, here's what well, saying, like a, a well, harmony, still, but harmony. I think it's yeah. <laughs> of, course, well, of course yeah. you did. Of course you did. But I, <laughs> I want to make him feel better. <laughs> well, I wanted to say, I wanted to say thank you, Bill. But um, you know, the thing is, sometimes when I got stuck. For um, you know, a part of a song that I didn't really have a part for, I would say WWBD. What would Bill do? And that's what I was doing on that one. Well, see, that's that's a band. Well, I have what to, would I Bill do? What would Bill do if he actually could play like me? That's, uh, that's no, 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 no. I got to go back though to Love Barge because uh, you know the the best thing about it for me is the outro where you guys go back and forth on the guitar solos. Oh yeah, that yeah, that's great. I love that. I love that. All right, speaking yeah, of Bill cool, uh, Rob, you will notice Rob is going to move the show forward whether you like yeah, it or I'm, not. I'm doing it. We're on to song four. Speaking, okay, of, right. speaking of cool guitar riffs, we come to the title track of the record, Slam, which has a really cool riff. I love that. I love it. And this is a different vibe, I feel like, for you guys, this whole song, right? Um, and it's got that totally. cool guitar yeah. riff. It's sort of some, this song, and there's a couple others that remind me of uh, a Talking Heads. It's like, I was thinking, you guys could have been like a Talking Heads type band. Not that you, not again, not to say that you weren't a, a great, successful band. And we're actually, we're talking about you. And like, why are we talking about Big Dipper? Because, uh, because you guys meant something to a lot of people. But this song in particular, I could almost hear it being, uh, yep. it sounds like it could be like on a Talking Heads record, right? Or something. And, uh, it's cool. I have no idea what the song is about. Is it just? Is this? Song? <laughs> nobody does. Nobody. Nobody would. Okay. But, uh, 
You know what I what I learned? I I was thinking. Wait a minute, Slam must have just been thrown together because we needed a title track at the last minute. I, for some reason, I was I wondering. Was I was wondering that. Remembering the history, and then I no, and then no, I that's hear not the true. Demo. Then I just hear the demo version, thanks to uh, Gary and Steve, you know, digging up and forwarding, and and all of a sudden it came back to me that you know, we, well, we did demo it, obviously, but it it went through a whole different feel where in the earlier version we actually played it a lot funkier and then we we at some point i remember we didn't quite feel like the rhythm section was was locked together and we we rearranged it and it seems like the end yeah. result was we took, we took the funk out of it yeah hmm. that i think you know as uh, rob mentioned earlier that didn't need to be on the album i think even though it's the title track <laughs> I mean, I think it was a title track because we we anticipated a major label backlash, and so we called it Slam. I think we called the album Slam because we thought it was going to, just like we called it Crap. Right. You guys, you guys are too remember. clever. That's you guys memory. are uh, too clever for your own. Well, yeah, I think that is part of the problem. Is that I <laughs> I think you guys are too clever for the major label. Boston, you Boston. You guys, there's too much. I, you too get. You sexy. have a, the, an understanding of irony is distinctly is diametrically opposed to the success on a major label. All right, and speaking of cleverness, let's go to the next song, which is the Bony Knees of Nothing. Which I, love I, this, love I love this song. song right? Uh, this is the best song. Yeah, it's my favorite. This is a yeah, this is a great this is a classic. The horns ruin it though. No, they no, don't. They I don't actually, agree. I don't agree. <laughs> I disagree. Who is that? Who said that? Who said I'm that? Joking. Oh, okay. Joking. Good. I, meant, I was, was going to put you on timeout. <laughs> I, I, it's oh, it's, but, um, it's one of my favorite Big Dipper songs. I think Bill did a just a great job writing that one. It's a perfect song. And I can tell a humorous story about the horns if we have time. Yeah, Go do for it. it. Do it. Uh, so we had a big budget, as Steve points out, and we hired some studio musicians, including the horn section, who, if memory serves, had played on Carol King's Tapestry album, oh, among nice. many others. Nice. And um, they, they were real, like, session pro dudes, right? Yeah. So I, I, I say to myself, I'm going to write out a little score for them. I'm going to be like a pro musician, and I've got a little... Sh- I've, I've got a little pad of you know musical notation paper, and uh, I'm I'm up till like three in the morning the night before the morning before writing out this score for the for the horn guys who are coming in, and I worked really really hard on it, and I came up with what I thought would be a simple catchy part, and so they come into the studio the next day. And I, I put this, the chart before them, and they're looking at it, and they're really gruff. They're like, you could tell they're thinking, like, who are these greenhorns? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, so Hagler cues up the tape to the sections of the song that require a horn. And it sounds like they, they start playing, and it sounds like a Schoenberg arrangement. It's totally <laughs> off. <laughs> And, and, and we're all trying to figure out exactly what exactly what is wrong with this. You and wrote it. Realized, you wrote it. You didn't write it in the horn key. <laughs> no, I did. I, I forgot to put in the rests at the beginning of the measure, <laughs> and so they started playing. 
<laughs> they started playing on a one beat and they were supposed to wait like two and a oh, half right, right, measures right. before they were playing. Yeah. And, and I went in and I, I wrote them in sheepishly and they were giving me the, the, the look. Right? Oh, yeah. I'm sure. And like, uh, yeah. they finally did it. They finally recorded, they started recording and then I thought everything was good. But then they got mad at me because they said that the part was too hard for them to play over and over and over again without taking a breath. What? <laughs> really? Yeah, they were mad at me. They said anyone who does arrangement would know oh, not to do that. Like oh, you know, because you're times. not a horn player. Oh. I'm not a horn well, player. Screw so them. That, that's on my funny little story. That's what you're supposed to. When you're supposed to say, "Listen, my name is Brian Wilson, and you're going to play what I wrote." <laughs> that's right. Well, the why did they get mad at you? They still got paid. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah what, right. that's, they're getting union scale. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. What the hell do they care? Good yeah, point. it goes yeah, on extra. Just, just play it. Shut up and just play it. Right. <laughs> well, I think that the the um, horns on bony knees were that was one of the initial things that caused the backlash, the critical backlash, certainly from the fans. Was like, what the hell? Big Dipper has recorded an album with horns on it. They must have sold out. Uh, but I hate people like that. By the way, I hate people subtle. that say that. It is subtle and it's great. It sounds great. I love yeah, it. I, I love the horns. I actually think song. the horns do work fine in this. I love now, it. Now that said, I would have mixed them differently. And, <laughs> oh, of course you would. <laughs> and Gary, you know, and and Gary, don't forget. You know, Lisa was a happy ending. By the time you know they finished touring with us that summer, we were all getting along great. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Are, they would come out for the last minute of Bony Knees, nah. and they. In the that would be, room, that would have been that would have been awesome. That actually. is a that fantasy awesome. sequence. <laughs> All right, we got to keep rolling. <laughs> All right, let's get to the next song is Baby Blue, and I will say I was disappointed when it wasn't the cover of the Badfinger song Baby Blue. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. But it's yeah. still. Uh, but I this still. This is first rate, Gary Wallach. This is number one, top notch, Gary Wallach. I really like oh, that. Oh, I really oh, like God. this song. It's a, also again a, a, a different vibe for you guys, I think. And uh, but it's really pretty, and not and not in a cloying, no. pretty way, but just a really pretty song. And I really like this song a lot. It's good. Well, I have to say, I never really liked this song. And it wasn't my favorite song on the album, but I've been listening back now, and, and I find myself like, walking around the house saying, Ring. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> Great lyric, too. Uh, Snow falls in blankets, rain falls in sheets. But, Thank yeah, you. Yes, yes. I mean, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff I what was... I don't... What, yeah. What do you what what happened? What what do you recall of the drums? Because I love the the drum arrangement on here because it, I mean it it required a whole different you know, approach than what we did live yeah, as yeah. Band, um, obviously. I, I remember what he did. He used this incredibly incredibly sensitive microphone, and he told me, "Do not make any sudden noises. You could pop the mic." Oh like, God! And I took a, <laughs> and I took a brush and I took a brush. And I just went around the snare drum. He made Don't a rushing sound um, on the snare drum. But, uh, yeah, he used this incredibly, incredibly sensitive mic that would pick up the brush sound. Oh, nice. So it was, it's That's basically cool. just, I think, uh, just uh, the sound of a brush going around the snare drum. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. But this is also this the is song cool. that has probably the most keyboards on it, am I right? It has uh, most synthesizer well, keyboards. All the way to, well, yeah, the synthesizer yeah. ones, yeah. It's real pretty. Yeah, I'm not like a fan it. of the. Yeah. Who says yeah. they're not a fan? I'm not really. I'm not really a fan of the song. I, I do like that last verse. I, the lyric is good, but the rest of the lyric 
uh, I'm trying a little too hard or not hard enough or something, but I do like that little duet with Bill at, at, in that last verse there. I think that's, um, that hit a, a real nice little mood there, and I wish that I was a sort of songwriter who could have made that a complete effort. Well, it's also uh, a song, I think it's an anti-police song, and it's uh, one of the early Black Lives Matter songs, I think. <laughs> Well, yes, well, Dave. Yeah, you, you you just yeah. We'll discuss that in a different episode. Yeah, <laughs> that on the Public Enemy. The baby we're gonna blue. Do, yeah, we're gonna do Public Enemy. Uh, Fear of a Black Planet. You just All come right. on for that let's, one. Let's move on to the next episode. Which I will. I will admit this is not. This is not a song. Um, uh, uh, this is not one of my favorites on the songs. Uh, a picnic uh, on the record. Uh, a picnic. The song picnic. So I don't. This is one of the songs I feel like didn't have to be on the record. To be honest, I'm just being brutally. It honest. should not have been on the album. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. <laughs> and who's, how who's, how was it ever justified? Who did it? Whose song is it? Well, I Bill had look at Bill had written. Look Go ahead, Bill. Look at the uh, lyric booklet, and I see that I got full credit for that. <laughs> 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 wah, wah. <laughs> I tell you, hey, guys, I do have the breakdown here, just uh, while we're in the middle of this. Bill uh, was the main person on eight of these songs, Gary on three, and Steve on two, and then someone named Ian Hunter. Yeah, Ian. And I see, uh, just so we're, we can skip, jump forward, way forward, I see you guys did leave out that, that specific word out of the cover. That was probably smart. Yeah, yeah that is in the original that is causes such difficulty in when yeah. covering that song. Oh, yeah. We, we talked some to dude. Yeah, yeah you said that. that was a real. That was a decision you made. Yeah, let's just say some dude, right? All right. So yeah, we're like, okay. okay. Do we leave the racist song uh, like again, Boston, which is surprising because you you guys were from Boston. You're a Boston band, so you know. Well, I, I, here's <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. In, in, in Ian in Ian Hunter's defense. <laughs> in Ian Hunter's defense. That person that he referenced actually comes across better than everybody else in the song, oh, including right. himself. He <laughs> gives that guy the position right. of greatest power. <laughs> right, right. So um, that's right. Yeah, but it was a good idea for you. Man, that's it was your a good instrument. Idea you. That's your instrument. Well, I felt so ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. I want to let Bill. I want to let Bill off the hook on picnic because Bill had written a very nice song about the Weavers, the folk band, the Weavers. Right. Yeah. And I came to him and I said, yeah, that's really sweet, Bill, but uh, why don't we make it about the Bengals <laughs> instead? Uh, and we'll change it to like the future where we're singing to the Bengals, you know, who are considering getting back together again after 20 years, which they did. And uh, so I, I made him, uh, you know, my hipster mentality is like, I'm not going to stand on stage while somebody sings about the frickin' Weavers. <laughs> <laughs> if only you knew. So we changed it to... Uh, to be about the bangles, so that was kind of uh, goofy. <laughs> but this is the only Big Dipper song that has a modulation in it, Gary. If, I, if I'm yeah. not uh, wrong, yeah, Ooh. yeah, we did our we did our little Barry Manilow thing there. Yeah, a little gear <laughs> shift okay. in there. Take it. I still would have probably left it off the record, but yeah. that's okay. Let's move on. Number eight is the, mon- the Monsters of Jazz. And monsters I'm, of Jazz. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say right now, whoever the Monsters of Jazz are, I'm probably not a fan of that. Band. He, Rob does not like jazz. I, I do. I'm a huge jazz fan. Really? Yeah. But I, I'm gonna be honest. What do you? I'm curious because this song it rocks, but I feel like it tries a little too hard to rock. Maybe a little. That's yeah. my feeling for this song. But what's uh, what's your guys? Oh. Gary, this is Gary's song. Gary's song. 
I think the whole thing tries a little too hard, from the writing to the performance to the <laughs> wow. I don't know what the hell it was supposed to be doing. And I, I, yeah, I just think that, uh, you know, I probably had some better songs than that uh, in the, uh, on the back burner, but uh, for some reason we went with that. I don't know why. Yeah, the Monsters of Jazz, well, man, they sounded that... so great, but still some people can't get them straight. <laughs> I mean, it's a song about the band, right, Gary? Um, kind of uh, at times, you know. I don't know. Like I say, they they needed some songs. I, I wrote them. You know. <laughs> well, the, the worst thing about the, I like this song a lot, but the thing that is embarrassing to me is that we did this that little jazz interlude thing, and we're like, really? That's what we thought jazz sounded like. Uh, yeah. <laughs> jazz is that's tough. That's what I think jazz sounds yeah, like. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to Rob. I'm with you. On yeah, that. he doesn't. We've but, I've tried. But, but, All right, but, but then that's that's rescued by uh, Impossible. Oh, things, it is which I Impossible. Think is a brilliant song. I really love this song. This is a fantastic thing. song. This has got a great. Now talk about chorus. You said you weren't crazy about the chorus in uh, Life Inside the Cemetery. This chorus is a great chorus, and yeah. the melody in this song is just great. Impossible Things is a great. This is all Bill, right? That's what I figured. It was a Bill yeah. song. Well, yeah. I think it says. Well, it says Bill and Gary in the book. Let's see here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Free and Wallach. Okay, so I, uh, did okay. you credit Lewis Carroll though? Yeah, let me. I was fascinated by. Oh, at the last minute, hearing the demo and realizing, okay, we we had we had established, you know, it was a it was a solid song idea, and you know, working pretty well on the demo version. But I I think, you know, we somehow we stayed focused on that. I think we really really made good in the studio with that song. I think I everything think, that yeah, we did I think this to is great. embellish and, it, and, and I, I think it all it all made it better, I have to say. And, and also, I like, I I like just, the way that song worked out. I, ju- I just want to point out, uh, just just Jeff, I just want to compliment you, Jeff, on, on just what a great, solid drummer you were, because I really, you were really, you you were, I don't know, are you still playing drums at all, Jeff? Do you still play, or do you... Uh, 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 yes, I am. Thank you very much. Right, but, yeah, yeah just, uh, I still play the drums. I still play all. The, uh, I still play uh, probably two or three times a week. Just a great musical drummer, and uh, my favorite kind of drummer is one that that yeah. just. That just it, does whatever the, a song needs, you know, yeah, exactly. and does it without overplaying and just the great. Very Ringo, very Ringo. There you go, right, exactly. So, uh, and that's an now, impossible thing to find in I think the best, I think the, the prettiest version ever of Impossible Things is the version on Onion World. That one is, I think. Oh, yeah, Rich Hall's uh, TV show on Not HBO. Just, oh, I mean, oh, really? oh, like a semi acoustic version. Yeah, yeah. So, like, cool. yeah. Oh. Plus, we were all wearing socks. Is there any copy of that? Yeah, we can dig that, that up on YouTube. Or something? Oh, I want to see yeah, that. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Okay. Search up uh, yeah. Paul, Onion World, Impossible Things. It's actually really nice, and Gary looks just like Brian Wilson in the let's po- video. When, when the episode hits, we're going to post, we'll put that on the Facebook page. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so let's go to the next song, which is Blood Packed. And Gary, I was, at first, I was telling Gary... <laughs> I, I thought this was just a generic, like, record signing song, band getting signed, but is this autobiographical? I said this has got to be yeah, you guys, right? This is. this is you guys, right? It's got to be what? Is you guys, like, you're signing, signing your, your, your major label. This is the major label signing song? Is of that course. Correct? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess so. I, I, again, it's like, for me, it's in the same category as um, Monsters of Jazz. It's just trying a little too hard. 
Yeah. Uh, although, uh, you but know here's what? The thing. Go ahead, go ahead. But listening to the demos of Blood Path, the lyrics in the original were very uh, negative towards the album, uh, towards the record company. It was kind of like a screw you kind of thing to, uh, you know, like, because <laughs> the, the actual, the last line is, we told him to go take a hike. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you didn't. Which did not happen. We, uh, yeah. We kicked, we, after that first record, we said, screw you guys, we don't need you. <laughs> So, I, okay. Hey, remember when Michael Kaplan wanted to say, Welcome to the Gravy Train, boys, before the song came Oh, yeah. Oh, my no God. way. So yeah, I, he I, wanted to be on the record. Oh, man. So, I have a question. And this is something that Rob and I have talked about with different bands. And it is it does uh, concern the songwriting credits. And that you have bands mm. where everything... <laughs> And this is I'm could grown. be a this is could be a sensitive question, but you have bands where like REM where it's like every song is credited to REM, and then you have bands um, where it's not credited to everyone. And did you guys ever have that discussion about um, how are we going to break the and are we going to do this as a unit or are we going to do this as individual songwriters? And you did that have any impact <laughs> on the bands? Um, during its history. Well, didn't we before this, guys, didn't we credit all the songs to just the Big Dipper and all four of us? Yeah. And then we At least we sort of figured out songwriting shares uh, <laughs> privately, but but it was it was credited to everybody and here we were like it was our white album I guess I don't know uh, all right well we saw the money we saw the money coming and we oh, were you like, guys oh, figured well, yeah we're gonna be yeah, yeah. We're basically yeah <laughs> yeah because we were gonna get rich off this record I'm not gonna I don't fault you guys that hey who knows you never know I will say also about this song I love the uh, guitar part the ascending guitar parts and it remind has anyone else said that it reminds me a lot of uh, the song uh, needle in, in the camel's eye. Brian Eno. Yeah, the Brian Eno oh, song. Yeah. Yes, yes. Very it, it, reminiscent of that, and I really like it. Might, might have been, thank you. I, I, it might have been subconsciously bubbling subconscious, up. Yeah, I, yeah. I, learned, I, I learned how to play uh, Driving Me Backwards on the piano recently. Ah, oh, yeah. Okay, nice. Well, like Barry always says, nothing comes from nothing. nothing comes so we from all nothing. pick up a... <laughs> Yeah, it's all, it's always... (laughs) All right, so the next song is the rare, sentimental Big Dipper song, because you guys don't have too many, like, overtly Overtly, sentimental songs, but uh, Father's Day is a real sentimental song, and let me ask you, none of you guys were uh, fathers at this point, were you? That you know of. No, I was talking about my own father. <laughs> oh, right. You were talking about... Not okay. that we knew of. Right. Okay, so you were talking about your father. But this <laughs> actually, this song makes me sad. How long to, How long till it's a home? It makes me sad. My dad's been dead like over 20, like almost 25 years. My dad's been gone. But this song, listening to it, it makes me a little like sad. Like, like it's a sad dad song. He's verklempt. <laughs> I get a little bit verklempt. <laughs> well, Bill's the guy who wrote it. Oh, yeah, so it's Bill, a great song. I, I yeah. say like, uh, was there a question? <laughs> no, Bill. I just you know, of was course, that a great Bill. song, Bill? Yeah, I'm. I'm tell us how. Tell us what a genius. Dad. Tell us what a genius. Explain to us how the genius writes a song like that. No, yeah, it, man, it is. It's just a really good. <laughs> it, 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 no, it's a really pretty sentimental song, and I like. Um, 
it's, uh, again, it's another different. This is why I, that's why I like this record. I like when bands that I like, you know, try different things and they're trying to expand. Like I said, it's not always a hundred percent successful, but I still, I don't know. I hate, I hate these people that go, oh, they suck. They're on Epic now. They suck. They yeah. sold out. And I fucking hate yeah. people like that, Barry. I didn't say. <laughs> no, speaking of kidding. speaking of kidding. speaking of being thrown under the bus, these are not things that I have said to Rob Elba. No, just no, so we're, we're clear. <laughs> All right, children. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know if this is. Oh, go, go ahead, Bill. Well, well, I, I don't know if this is like, an accurate memory because my my memory is you know about the least accurate of any of of, of this <laughs> bunch. But um, but I know that you know at, at that time when there. It was dif- it was difficult to write a lot of songs. You know, obviously there were some songs that were um, that were coming together and working, but as far as like you know, a, a great number of songs to pick from, that that wasn't happening. But in this case, I I think you know I, I got inspired to write this tender you know little ballad, and I didn't expect it to be a big dipper fitting kind of song. But then again when we started out that wasn't kind of that wasn't the rule anyway it was just the idea that any anybody could have a song idea and then we would you know do our best to try to flesh it out somehow so right this seemed like the opportunity to to have to have a song that was meant to be that kind of quiet and pensive and actually be able to record it that way without having to adapt it to you know well how are we going to play this live you know how, how are we going to just Bash this out as a band. We didn't have to. Did we ever to play it live? That angle of it. I no. I don't think. We I was ever wondering did. that. I was wondering if you guys ever did play this song live. But that's it's cool anyway. It's I think. Well, I prefer the I prefer the demo version, which was uh, Ramon style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One two three four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's one. Who's the, the hey, of the Who's the Johnny Ramon of the band? I think. <laughs> Again, Bill. now I, I'm curious about. I'm curious what Jeff remembers. I'm curious if Jeff remembers having to, you know, come up with something that he could do that didn't, you know, that was completely out of the out of his comfort zone to be able to to play percussion. Jeff was that. a rock. Jeff Jeff played. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it was. It was. Hard. I, I was just so used to just rocking out. So when it came to a delicate song. I probably got really nervous, and uh, I think a lot of the stuff I came up with at first, you know, I was like, no, no, that's not going to work, that's not going to work. So I think we just took, like, the simplest form and tried to make it as simple as possible, rather than be all fancy and creative. It came out really good, though. I, I yeah. really yes, like this I song. Agree. Yeah, you're the percussionist. I'm glad this song is on the record. I, I, Gary, didn't you play percussion on some of the stuff, on some of the, like, Baby Blue, I, didn't you bang on some I, I might have, but, but what I remember about uh, Father's Day is you and Bill having a conversation about what you were going to do for percussion, and you guys were talking about pet sounds. Yeah. And, um, ah. I, think, I, think, I think that influenced the choice of percussion instruments in that one, and I, I think that yeah. you guys might have been playing that together. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, we might have. Oh, that's cool. Well, we were yeah, they were playing the, the rain stick. 
Well, whatever you guys yeah, did, whatever you came up with, you did a good job with this. I think uh, you, it was successful. Unlike, a, a rare high point. Of the unlike, record. no, no, not rare, but unlike <laughs> the next song, which I, there's another one that I think, another one, <laughs> Baby Doll is another one. For me personally, I just feel like I maybe didn't need to be on the record. And it's long, too, for you, for the songs in this record. It's like a four, almost a four-minute song. And, uh, baby, so who's, uh, who's Yeah, gonna, why did we put that song on the record? <laughs> But you know, I mean, we got Aragon. Well, why didn't we no, put Aragon on there? It's a pretty weak song, but you know, I, I still, I enjoyed it back then, hearing what we did with it, and I, and to this day, I still, I, I love the bass playing and the the harmony, like phrasing of the bass okay, part, the that's pianos. Fair, that's fair. That's Jerry's got this crying guitar. There's these. I guess just, maybe I'm still not objective about it because there's maybe not a whole lot of just a song there but I just like I like listening to the arrangement and the production of it so I'm kind of a sucker for that right, right. yeah alright that's fair I have to agree with the bass play <laughs> but the lyrics the lyrics though is kind of a sister song to uh, a song that was out at the time by Madonna called Papa Don't Preach Papa Don't Preach and I've been losing sleep the baby. I've been I'm keep I it's love that song teenage mother Teenage pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, okay. I actually love that song by Madonna. So yeah. you Madonna's know. may have been a little more yeah, successful at getting the point across. Like, <laughs> I like Papa Don't Preach better than I like Baby Doll. Yeah. Okay. We could all, all. I think okay. we could all agree on that and move on to the number thirteen song, which is a, a really <laughs> towards the end of the record. But I really like this song, a, a Life Inside the Cemetery. This again, I feel like you get back uh, to a classic Big Dipper song for me. Uh, and, and I love the chord progression in this song. It's got that interesting chord progression, and uh, the uh, guitar work throughout is just great. I really like this song a lot. Look south. All right, what is Go it? Please. Look south and feel the pleasure. Look north and feel the pain. What are we saying here? Yeah, for real. <laughs> At that time, on? I was trying to convince the uh, I was trying to convince the band. I always was trying to convince the band to move someplace warmer than New England. Ah, <laughs> it's literal weather. I was always saying. Like, Yes. Let's go. So I, I spent a whole year trying to convince everybody to move to Las Vegas. We'd be yeah. the only so band in Las Vegas. So well, just, totally just so we're clear, Larry. just so we're clear, I am during the recording of this podcast. I am wearing shorts, and I could go outside wearing shorts, and it would be fine. <laughs> January, yeah, it's January. Oh, believe me, I, I spent. Uh, well, I'm from New York originally, but I spent about five, six years in uh, Boston, and I moved back down to South Florida. And I'm, I'm not no, as much no as regrets. I love Boston, love the Red Sox. You know, go Sox. I'm not going back up to Boston. Believe me, in the winter, especially. <laughs> Gary, what were you going to say? I was going to say that it's really no wonder that our songs didn't catch on with the masses when the choruses are based on hidden secret messages to the band. (laughs) Well, no, the trick is, it's okay if that's true, but it has to have a totally other meaning that you can interpret in a completely different way. So what's the hidden, but let us know, what's the hidden message? Let us in on it now. Yeah, we're for real. Well, I don't know, but but again, the, the, the... Verses are so beautiful, and and the lyrics are based on a true story. That's actually a very touching story. And I think yeah. if we had found the right way to to have the song hammered home with a chorus, then that you know that could have been a huge radio hit. 
It was the great lost third single off the album. <laughs> so, Steve, yeah. Steve, you originally called it the, the Hermit of Chestnut Hill. Ah. Yes, it was a song about a, a guy who came into the copy store that I worked in. I used to work at a Xerox shop in a, in a very tony uh, part of Brookline called Chestnut Hill. But this guy who had dropped out of society, his name was Bill Brett, and he had uh, taken to living in the cemetery, uh, the Chestnut Hill Cemetery. And he was, so he was a homeless guy, but he was kind of camping, publicly camping. And he would come in to uh, our store and copy uh, legal documents because he was constantly fighting this, um, he was fighting a uh, extradition or getting kicked out of the cemetery. Um, and he was a very cool guy. I got to know him. And, uh, and, but eventually he was, I can't remember the exact story, but they set fire to the cemetery like it was, uh, and to drive him out of the, uh, to the cemetery. But, uh, wow. anyway, that was the, uh, the verses, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, well, that was really good story. Community. I would like to say that, uh, the lyric, someone served for this Thanksgiving, notice that there'd be no living. This place is only for the dead is just <laughs> as, as perfect as a lyric and a melody it, and it's a great li- it's a great lyric it yeah, really yeah. is I it's agree. great agreed is that and, you and, bill or me i probably uh, uh, <laughs> uh yeah did we work on that together i uh yeah, yeah I, you guys did. so steve let me uh, uh, let me lighten it up a little bit let me lighten it up a bit steve is that the same <laughs> is that the same is that the same copy store where you got uh, peter prescott a job Oh, yeah, yeah, back in the day. Well, it's actually a different branch of um, Copy Cop. So the one that Peter and I worked in was down on Boylston Street across from the um, Boston Marathon finish line. Okay. Um, but um, you, mo- spent, you moved uh, on up. You like the Jeffersons. You moved on up. Yes, I moved up. <laughs> I moved up. Well, they tried to separate Peter and I because you know, all we did is spend all day arguing about records. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Thank you very much. That was very nice. That was great. Inside info. Yeah. And I'm, I want to say I'm glad we're doing this now because probably in ten years you guys won't remember you any of this. Right? Shit, right? Yeah. You guys won't. Well, you still. Where's my? Where's Which my one of ice cream? <laughs> All of you. All right. <laughs> Which one of us will die first? Uh, Man. Let's get. All right. Who, who, who made the point about? Who, <laughs> who, who made the point about that song being the, maybe the most like classic Big Dipper? I, well, I was Rob, saying that's yeah, definitely, Rob yeah, that. cla- to me, it's a classic uh, Big Dipper sounding song. Because I, I think to, there's ev- evidence to back that up would be, the, the, I think most most of us would agree that the demo version of that song is probably even better and like more of the definitive version of that song than the slam version. So we, it was like a yep. you know fully executed and arranged yeah. and performed song yeah. as, right. as a band and, and ready to ready to perform it and there wasn't anything left to do in the studio but kind of tame it down right right i think that's what happened with i think it still rocks it does oh yeah oh yeah it still rocks but but in comparison it just we sort of teamed we sort of reined it in a little bit right yeah Yeah. put the acoustic guitars on it yeah all right so we get to the final song on the record which is a cover which I will say you guys always played great covers, and something I always will remember was hearing uh, Jet. You guys uh, did a great, oh, Big Dipper has a yeah. great cover of the Paul McCartney and Wings song, Jet. 
and I remember hearing it on. Uh, must have been drunk. <laughs> no, and I just I I was listening to one of the college stations up. In He's Boston, drunk now, just so we're clear. Yeah, me and Barry have been drinking <laughs> heavily, but uh, just such a great cover. So you should definitely look up uh, Jet Big Dipper doing Jet. But this is all the way from Memphis by, of course, Mata Hoople, and uh, this is a great cover. And yeah, like I said, one of you I know was saying earlier that this is the song you could really hear you guys. Just the uh, the the joy in playing this song, and it's such a great song, and you guys do a really great job. It's one of the great. I mean, it's a great cover, but it's one of the great. It's it's a song about. It's one of the realest songs in rock. It's up there with um, uh, "Money Changes Everything" and like, okay, this song is completely and totally r- real from start to finish. But does anybody remember? Did did we have like a small? Did we narrow it down to like a few songs to choose from for that purpose? Well, I think it was kind of spontaneous. Gary had started playing the keyboard riff and uh, ah. you know just messing around on the studio piano, and then we said, "Hey, yeah, let's learn that." And we learned it in like an hour. Oh, so this isn't the song <laughs> and, you guys. Uh, this isn't the song you guys were already like playing live uh, covering. This is something no, you just covered on the record. Studio. Oh, no, no we never no. played it live. Really? Never, never, never played it live. All right. Never played it no, live. We, but I, I promptly, to that. promptly forgot it after we recorded it. It was like, God, <laughs> yeah, remember it. So you couldn't do it even if you well, wanted to. But it never should have been. It shouldn't have been on the album. It should have been like a B-side. Yeah, of, it's like, got a B-side feel for sure. Yeah. Okay, so we've we've, yeah. we've come to the end of the record. And I do want to, I, I would like to, since we, you know, this, um, I do want to ask, what happened in the aftermath of the album? Hey. Well, that's dead silence. That's okay. Say, well, well, here's a question. I have a question for the band. So, you guys, we all came home with a cassette version. We spent however many weeks and months together recording this thing, and then they mixed us a little cassette version, and we went home to our individual lives, and we probably didn't see each other for a while because we were really playing shows until the tour. So, what did you think? Did you think, oh man, we just made the best record ever, and this is, you know, freaking Abbey Road, or did we say, oh my God, what a disaster? Or what, what were your thoughts? I mean, that was my, and you know, I think that's uh, kind of the, the question yeah, you're asking. That, that is, the, yeah, that's, that'll, that'll suffice for sure. Part of, part of. I, pro- I think I, I could say I probably was pretty nervous about, like, what, how it would actually turn out, but I thought, I felt pretty comfortable and pretty confident that we had done a good job of you know making the most of of what we had or the opportunity that we had i thought we, we we worked hard and we gave it the best that we could and i thought we were pretty successful successful enough that it that it could have been uh at least like a you know n- not a failure and and we could have gr- gone on from there to whatever was next Okay. Yeah. Uh, what about let's, yeah. let me let me get some give somebody some airtime that hasn't gotten a lot. Jeff, what did you think about the record? I love the record. Um, I think it has its its good points and its bad points, but it was the most fun I had ever had recording with the band, spending six weeks with them and just having a great time putting it together. And after it was done, I just thought, just like any other record, we're going to go out. And we're going to tour the hell out of it, and people are going to love it, and people are going to show up and enjoy our music. Um, that didn't necessarily didn't happen. And Gary, I think you made a good point where 
you know, thinking now going out on the road in the summertime makes absolutely no sense. Not to mention we had an RV that broke down every other well, day. You, you're, you're getting ahead of you're getting ahead of things, though. That was a, a different. Uh, that was later, but um, <laughs> what was? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, as far as the record goes, I remember talking to my wife about it and saying what I always say after I recorded something. Um, with Big Dipper, which was, I think it's the best stuff we've ever done. And um, I wanted to believe that, but then I started to have some real doubts. And then we had to plan a tour. The record came out, I, I think it was, pretty sure it was April of 90. And then we were out on the road starting, I believe, in late June or early July. And no, it was, was Memorial Day weekend. We, we left on Memorial Day weekend. Oh, wow. Yeah. That early, huh? Wow. Yeah. So we, we, had, we had this RV, and we had money for a big road crew, and this was going to be the tour that took us... Woody Nuss. Yeah, it, 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 it was going to be the tour that took us to the Toppermost of the Toppermost, and it, it was just a disaster in every way, and on top of things, by the time we got to the American Southwest, uh, the country was experiencing a record heat wave. Oh, and that sounds we, brutal. You know, it, it, just, it, it was bad. I, I mean, I don't really want to dwell on it too much, but when we came back from that tour, um, we kind of knew that things were not going to work out well, and then Steve left, and that really hurt. And then, um, you know, we God realized, it, I realized... Hmm? No, no we're just... I realized not long... I, I'm just going to say I realized not long after that that we had fallen into a trap that a lot of bands and a, a lot of organizations fall into, and that is we were very headstrong, uh, ambitious young men who weren't listening to each other very well and weren't weren't communicating very well, and it was just the whole thing was just a big old recipe for disaster. <laughs> and Steve, Steve, what was what was the point? What what was the point where you the, was there a specific like I make an analogy with people that I know sometimes that there's a cup that's filling up and you don't realize that it's filling up and at some point it spills over the brim and after that Humpty Dumpty basically to mix two metaphors has fallen off the wall. Did is that what happened with you? <laughs> yeah, I mean we started. I think we all started out the tour. Uh, you know, I I came back the same way everyone feels felt like we made a great record, people are going to like this, and then uh, as the reviews came out and our friends weighed in and radio weighed in in their own, uh, by ignoring it, um, we realized that, you know, maybe we had made a misstep, um, but we went out on tour thinking, oh, we'll just go out on tour and have fun and um, do what we do, um, but as time went on, you know, I think the lack of success and the bitterness towards the label... Uh, was internalized in the band and caused a rift in the band. Um, and as we, I think when, I think the time that, uh, you know, I realized that it wasn't going to work is when the RV broke down in the middle of the uh, east, in the west Texas desert. It was Kent, And we Texas. were all kind of, you know, we were like stuck out in the desert. And uh, I was like, oh, man. This is actually kind of a drag. This is real. <laughs> yeah, it this always, is real. Always yeah, this fun. really sucks. Yeah. That's brutal, but, man. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, there was just... Actually, Steve, this is like the corniest... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, Steve left the band, and we thought, okay, well, we, we just 
did our the first record of an eight record deal, we'll be fine. So we started. Did you guys really have an eight record You had deal? an eight record deal. We had yeah, an eight the, record deal. Wow. We had an by eight, eight record, record deal. Was like the advance was like one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. Wow. No, but by the last one, I think the advance was like three hundred thousand or four hundred thousand or something okay. like that. It was that. even more. It was, it was clearly designed to put big dollar signs in our eyes. But um, as with so many um, like uh, athletic contracts, uh, the option was always with the, the label and not with the band. So right. um, what happened was we got a we got a bass player in and we started demoing some new songs and. The record label played with us for a while and says, "Yeah, keep keep working on those songs. Keep working on those songs." Uh, and by bastards. May, they they just strung us along. And by May of 1991, I got the call that we had been dropped. So I, I I let that sink in for a little while, and then I called the people at the label who I thought were our friends. Just to say, that's a tough. Thank tough, you for yeah, working. Yeah, uh, for thank you for working on our record. I'm sorry it didn't work out, and I was like dropped like a hot potato. Oh, oh yeah, okay. Um, hey, look, I gotta go. Click. Yeah, and that's the uh, got social distortion on the other line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, all positives on the other line. I'm like, um, anyway. Oh yeah, that's um, right. They band tell the same time. story. Yes. So we realized we, we were in a place where we had alienated many, I wouldn't say most even, but many people uh, in our, you know, grassroots audience. And we hadn't uh, found any new listeners. We hadn't attracted any new listeners. And we were sort of in this really weird limbo. And Bill and I stuck it out, just stuck it out for a while and then wisely left. And then Bill and I stuck it out for a couple more years, and then for another year, and, and I, I just, I, I couldn't take it anymore. Um, I missed the camaraderie with the guys, and I really missed more than anything the sort of chemistry that I always felt that I had with Bill when we were singing and playing together, but it, it, it was just something that had to be done, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. That's. Uh, I'll tell you what. I, I don't want to end. I, I don't want to end this on a on a sour note because, like I said at the outset, it's not a sour story. You guys, got, you guys put out really great records. You guys had great songs, and you guys got to tour the world when you were in your twenties. And you I, I also have to say, you guys are all you guys are all great guys. Yeah, you're good guys. That's the problem. You got no well, asshole Steve, in the band. I don't know. Steve seems like kind of he like could, <laughs> Steve. Steve could hang with us. Yeah, guys. I really Wait a Steve could hang with us. <laughs> which is not a compliment. <laughs> uh, all right, man. Uh, but guys, well, I have to say, like, as bad as as bad as the uh, Epic Sony experience was, the Merge experience was just like it really was able to kind of turn around a lot of the bad feelings that we had about the music business and about the band. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We yeah. probably made we probably made more money off of Supercluster than we yep. made. Uh, you know, because Merge does a fair deal right, right, for right. musicians. Oh, well, good for you guys. And, you know, uh, I think we're very lucky. I think we're very lucky because I know musicians that have been in bands and they might have had more success selling records and making money 
and they can't stand each other. Oh, right. I know that's and true. Yeah. I do too. I was, You're I right. I, know. I got a, na- I got a name on the tip of my tongue right now, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> it's true, though. Yeah. So, and I, <laughs> or I mean, I'd much rather I have know. a relationship with you guys in the band than to hate you guys. I mean, that's right. You know, who knows? I, I, I tend to think. If we had sold a million records, I would have probably been in rehab for a while. Oh yeah, one yeah. of you at least <laughs> at least knows? one of you and would who be knows dead. If we would have liked each other at the end. Yeah, you know? that's true. That's a good point. And I so tell thank God too. we didn't make any money. Yeah, a- answer me thank this. Well, well, I got a, fi- a final question for you because we're getting we got we get, we're going long. Yeah, and <laughs> our longest episode. No, one episode. The two part thing. You look at the listeners of the second part of New- Lou Reed in New York, and we get, we're way down. So <laughs> force people to listen to the <laughs> Okay, when's the last time you guys were in the same place at the same time all together? Oh, yeah. You guys pulled off a Sharpling-esque feat here. That's right. Yeah, we're 2008, right? When we played the shows? Yeah, it was at the end of the... Uh, it was at the end of the uh, uh, reunion shows at, in Boston. Oh, okay. Yeah, the nice. supercluster shows in Boston. Supercluster. So over 10 years, yeah, yeah like yeah. 11 years. Well, I years think ago. you guys, right. uh, yep. yeah, just, uh, it sounds like you guys, yeah, it's not, it wouldn't be a bad idea for you guys to reconvene. Yes. I'm going to yeah, work it out. Tour, We're yeah. always happy to get a conference tour, call together. You could do a tour of South Florida. <laughs> yeah, not a, not, a, not a conference call. The South Florida tour. We're going to yeah. set, me and Barry are going to set it for you guys. Big Dipper, just get together, play a barbecue, everybody has a great time, there and then you go, you go home. Uh, I've heard worse ideas. Exactly. As long as we don't. As long as we don't over-rehearse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Uh, well, if we were going to do it, if we were going to well do said, it, like, well, the only well people said. we do it for is Barry and Rob. Ah, oh, the there you in. go. All right. Well, thanks, we uh, play a benefit yeah. for the, that record. There you go. <laughs> I was going yeah. oh. oh. to suggest that we get together next Wednesday night and critique the entire Cave Dogs catalog. Ah, oh, I, remember, <laughs> I remember the Cave Dogs. I remember Fantastic the Cave Dogs. Fantastic band. They were a great band. Opa, which, by the way, O Positive never imp- impressed me that much, just so you guys know that. They had like one or two no, good songs. Let's, just, had, let's spend a couple minutes talking about how bad O Positive was. <laughs> there you go. Let's start bashing some nah, people. Nah, they were so bad at us. The editor. Hey, we got to find Epic. Don't get me started on the neat either. Yeah. I'm, All right. Uh, <laughs> the editor and producer says we got a. This was amazing. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Steve, Gary, Bill, and Jeff. You guys were awesome for coming doing this. And this, like I said, guys, for me, this is great uh, because I really, I, I definitely, uh, I was a huge fan of you guys. I still am a fan of you guys, and uh, this was awesome. So thank you very much for being on the show. Next week, I have to say Thank we're you. doing uh, we're doing uh, singles going steady. Buzzcocks, uh, timely, unfortunately. The, the late great Pete Shelley. We're going to yeah, honor man. him with our guest uh, Tim Moffat from Armageddon. Man, uh, that's going to be next week. Hey guys, can you stay on the line? Yeah, yes, we're going to sure. stay. Sure. We're going to sign mm-hmm. up, but we're going to all stay on the line, and we're going to talk. We're going to talk more crap about Boston bands. That's what we're going to do for about another half hour. <laughs> so, but uh, once again, that's Barry Stock. That's Rob Elba. We'll see you guys next week. That record got me high. Thanks a lot, guys. We're out. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, Thank stay you. On. Hey, okay. Bill. Stay on. No, guys. Bill. Yes, hey, Bill. Stay, stay on. on the line. Yeah, all of you. Yeah, don't hang up yet. Stay on the line. Uh, guys. I wanted was, to ask about the. I wanted to talk about the demo. Is it
got me high.